Hello there, prom party. Hello. This week's episode is the one that we had for the Fright Gown Film Festival, a weekend celebration of queer horror to support the Transgender Law Center. Mm-hmm. We recorded this for Fright Gowns, which was, I believe, at the very, very tail end of June. Yes, it was closing out Pride Month. Yes. So we hope you enjoy today's episode, but... As always, we just ask that you keep in mind this was recorded a very long time ago. So if at any time we mention something that's relevant in the news that has changed since then, we recorded this in June. It's been a while. I wonder how topical some of our references are going to be. <laughs> so timely. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Enjoy. I don't want to be your merch girl. I want to be your goddamn idol. And I don't want to have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I realize that I probably won't be so lucky. Hey there, prom party. Hello. Welcome to Fright Gown. And and also the Sons of Prom. <laughs> and also that. <laughs> Hi, friends. We know that there are probably a lot of you who are listening to this show for the very first time. And let me just say, I'm so happy to have you. Same. Going to be so many fresh ears for bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> That's very, very, very true. But... Thanks to the wonderful people behind Fright Gown, Salem Horror Festival, and the Bloody Disgusting Podcast, The Horror Queers, for allowing us to to celebrate with you. I mean, our podcast is kind of exactly the right fit for Fright Gown. We're both professional gays. We're frightening. There's gowns. We're frightening. There's gowns. <laughs> and our podcast is called This Ends at Prom. And if we're going to have a gay prom with horror movies, then obviously we're on the VIP list. We have to be here. Do proms have VIP lists? Maybe in like really rich schools. I but didn't, I didn't go to prom. I don't know if that's a thing. And I didn't go to a rich school, so <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe like the kids whose parents could afford the really nice limo, like they're the VIP list. Like a limo hummer? Yeah, like those kids are VIP compared to me and my friends who went in like the used cars. My that Honda we- Civic. <laughs> <laughs> my my Jeep Cherokee that was missing paint on the hood because I had a roommate that threw baloney on it and it ripped the clear coat. You got baloneyed? I got baloneyed. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that roommate sucked. I can't imagine. She's gone now. I mean, like, she's not dead or oh, anything. Oh, I was about to be like, <laughs> I just you don't kill talk her? To her anymore. <laughs> Can you relate to this film? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the film, we decided that there is no movie more perfect for what we do at This Ends at Prom and what we're trying to do here with Fright Gown than the 2017 teen girl mass murder, just absolute gore fest. Extravaganza. <laughs> We're talking about tragedy girls. So Harmony, my question for you is, what was your introduction to tragedy girls? How did you find this movie? It was through you and the circumstances where I sort of saw this the first time were um, very unique in that I was surrounded by people who hated it. (laughs) And why did they hate this movie? 
So at the bar I used to work at, we used to have like a very big queer monthly event that we would do. And we would show like queer movies, either like queer in nature or like or, or made by or starring queer people. Like, you know, that were, there was some sort of mm-hmm. through a line through there. And we would have queer music on. We'd have like queer stuff on like the side TVs. Like just basically like, hey, let's surround you with a, like a bunch of stuff and make this like a cool inclusive space. Mm-hmm. That's an alternative to like a traditional club style gay bar. Correct. So it was great. Perfect. Anyway, it was October. So we're like, oh, let's put some like queer spooky movies on. That'll be great. And everyone's like, put on Hocus Pocus. And I'm like, that's not really that queer. Right. That was you another, just like it. That was a, a really important thing about those queer events is that the amount of people that would come in there and get so upset because like, I want to listen to Britney. I want to listen to Lady Gaga. I want to listen to some teen pop that is usually done by straight people. Right. And that's the thing. Like, it's totally cool. Like, shout out to all of like the divas and the pop singers. We love them. They're fantastic. But the point of these meetups were to celebrate like, queer artistry or things that queer people really saw themselves in. Mm-hmm. That's what we were trying to do. Yeah, so it was October and we were going to put on a blatantly queer movie, so we put on Tragedy Girls. Mhm. I think we maybe made it 20 maybe 30 minutes into the movie Tops and pretty much everyone that was there complained about it's too violent. I don't like this. Turn it off. Yep. And I <laughs> was irate. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was like, I wasn't like catching bits and pieces of it, but the first probably third of this movie is very fun mm-hmm. and gruesome, but in like a very campy way, which right. is like peak gay. Right. But I think it was the wood shop scene where they're like <laughs> yeah. cutting this girl up and they put her head on like a spinning dribble or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that I think was the moment where everyone was like, I'm uncomfortable and we had to put on something significantly more friendly. Which the real shame in that is that's really the end of the extreme gore oh, yeah, in this movie. Not a lot in the rest of the movie. Like there's bits and pieces like with that um very cannibal holocaust shot where the woman mm-hmm. gets gets pierced up the butt and out the mouth. Yes. Like that happens, but it's not dismembering right. and stuff. So it's it's not nearly as heavy in the rest of the film, and it's almost not as goofy in the rest of the film. But they weren't having it, and we planned on actually doing this for the podcast back in October last year, which would have been a year later mm-hmm. from when this had happened. And it just didn't make the cut because we had too many things to try and cram into the five weeks of October <laughs> we were doing this. And uh, yeah, here it is. We're doing it in the middle of summer now for this wonderful <laughs> festival. Well, it does end at prom, so it's fitting. It makes complete sense. It's really funny how when we picked the name This Ends at Prom, we were like, all these movies end at prom, and uh, they, do- they sort of don't. Yeah, a lot. They end at like winter formal and homecoming a lot, and we just think that it's prom. Right. Our brains just associate the dresses. Anything with a dance, it's prom, obviously. <laughs> so for those who have not seen Tragedy Girls... First of all, what are you doing listening to a podcast about a movie you haven't seen? This is going to be full of spoilers. So many people like to just listen to our voice. They specifically tell us this, and I appreciate I it. I know. It is very cute. <laughs> we'll, we'll get messages on Twitter occasionally that are like, I've never even heard of this movie. I just want to hang out with you, too. And I'm like, you know what? Hang out with us. I love it. But the story of Tragedy Girls, according to our friends at Fandango, our friendangos, Teenage crime reporters Sadie and Michaela are hot on the trail of a crazed serial killer. 
After capturing the maniac and holding him hostage, they soon realized that the best way to boost their social media stardom is to commit the murders themselves. Sure. Saying that they're, like, on the hunt for him, it seems almost disingenuous because it's, like, the first two minutes of the movie, and (laughs) then that's not really a plot point. They just hold him hostage for a chunk of the movie after that. Right. They want to learn from him, but I guess it's a cute enough synopsis it, it gets you interested it feels very night crawler spoil it i guess yeah it doesn't spoil what's really going on that's mm-hmm. very true now it's important to distinguish what kind of killers we're talking about here serial killers can operate over many years and have very distinct patterns when selecting their victims <laughs> while spree killers don't have cooling off periods and kill like two or more people in a short amount of time. So it's like a Jeffrey Dahmer versus a Charles Starkweather. For those that are listening for the first time, one of the reasons that we go to Fandango is because the plot synopses change dramatically depending on how much of a shit whatever copywriter was assigned to this was giving that day. So you never you never know what you're going to get, and it's great. Yeah, I think my favorite one we ever had was when we did Sex Drive, and it was literally three different summaries that all just kept repeating the mm-hmm. same points, because clearly they just, they had written like three of them by different people, and then just smashed them together, and then no <laughs> one cared enough to fix it. Right, so you just ended up with like a five paragraph I love essay. the anarchy of it. <laughs> so before we really dive into the movie, though. Harmony, I want you to set a stage for us, and let's go back in time. Luckily, in this instance, it's like four years, so I think a lot of us know what was going on at the time, but for those that may have forgotten, because time is an illusion, and it doesn't fucking matter anymore. It's been a long four years. It's been a very long four years. What uh, What was going on in 2017? Well, for a dollop of context... I really wanted to look at sort of the teen sphere and the horror sphere specifically to see how this movie fits into the greater puzzle of what was going on in our media at the time. And this was a big year and also a really fucking depressing year for horror. (laughs) Can you imagine what would have happened in 2016 that would have inspired a lot of the content in 2017 to be super fucking depressing? Who's to say? It really was the uh, first year where movies were coming out in a uh, post-Trump election mm-hmm. production. So even if it's, I, I can't imagine that no matter what film it was, there was a was a heavy air just hanging over everything, mm-hmm. you know. But looking at some of the angry and depressing films that existed from this era, the two big ones from this year were obviously Get Out mm-hmm. and the first It. Okay, so yeah, those are massive heavy hitters from some, that year. Some of the biggest horror movies in the last 10 years. Yeah. Like, comfortably. Mm-hmm. Oh, without a question. Yeah. So, those make sense. Yeah. But they're also a little bit of outliers in the grand, critically acclaimed horror sphere of the year. Mm-hmm. Because this was a really heavy year littered with stuff like Super Dark Times. Ugh, bleak. Be- like, wonderful. But God, is that movie bleak. <laughs> Mother. Okay, yes, yes. It Comes at Night. Also bleak. Hounds of Love. Extremely bleak. (laughs) The Endless. Oh, I love The Endless, though. And to a lesser extent, but sort of bridging into where we're going with the rest of the things I'm going to name drop, Raw. You mean bleak, 
but very Some people beautiful. find a lot of catharsis in that yeah, movie. Yeah, I do it feels too. Good. I'm one of those people. I'm not one. <laughs> I find catharsis in that movie, but I also know that I'm an incredibly like fucked up individual who goes to a lot of therapy. So take that opinion with a grain of salt. Yeah. So Raw kind of bridges the gap between these very depressing films to three other releases from this year that I think are playing in the same sandbox as Tragedy Girls. Okay. And they include Better Watch Out. Ooh, tough, but yes, very similar energy. Yeah, fun thing about Better Watch Out, uh, you showed it to me for the first time a couple Christmases ago, and you went, this movie's really fun, and you and I have very different definitions of what fun means, apparently. (laughs) I literally just said that I go to a lot of therapy, and to take what I say with a grain of salt, because I have very warped opinions. it's like a Home Alone horror movie. I'm like, yeah, I guess it is. You're not wrong, but God. It's a hard fucking movie, but for I love the movie for how hard it is, but that is an entirely separate conversation. That, yeah. Again, yeah. though, bleak. Yeah, very bleak. We have The Babysitter, because we need more children dying in this year, apparently, along yeah. with, like, It and various other films. Yeah, but we also get Brian Duffield, who would then go on to make, like, some of my favorite movies. Correct. And Samara Weaving, who is probably my favorite actress of the last five years, based on what she's been doing. Oh, yeah. This is also the Mayhem year as well. So we get, like, double Samara Weaving just being incredible and charismatic and great. I love her so much. And the film that I think is probably closest to Tragedy Girls, but more fun... Mm-hmm. is Happy Death Day. I love Happy Death Day. I don't know why we're not just like blowing a money hose at Christopher Landon at any given moment to just let him make whatever he wants. I agree. I love Happy Death Day so much, and I can't wait to one day cover it on the podcast. <laughs> It'll be a delight. Yeah, so how do you feel about like the horror releases that were coming out this year? What I find really interesting about 2017 is I think that this is also the year when it became second nature for people to be consuming a majority of their content online, either through a streaming service or VOD or some something to this effect. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge boom in a lot of indie releases or independent releases, just, you know, not studio pictures, I should say. Yeah. Because I know that people have varying degrees of what they consider independent there, or there's not. There's tiers to being independent. Right. Yeah. So at this point, we we obviously had these big blockbuster movies like It and like Get Out, which obviously was massive. I don't think that people fully understood how big it was going to be. I think everyone expected it to be huge. I don't mm-hmm. know if people were fully anticipating just how revolutionary Get Out was going to be. Mm-hmm. So because you know that It is on the horizon, that's going to completely change a lot of schedules for studios because they don't want to compete with it. Mm -hmm. So then we end up then with all of these releases that are going, you know, straight to VOD or getting picked up by streaming services because streaming services are now desperate for, quote unquote, original content. Oh, yeah. No, this was definitely when I think Netflix in particular started to scoop up original content Mm -hmm. because I think this was also the year where you had uh, 1922 and Gerald's Game come out Mm -hmm. and it was a big Mm -hmm. deal that was like Netflix is making original Stephen King movies. Yeah, that was a massive fucking deal, especially because you're also getting like Mike Flanagan movies and he was like the hottest thing in the world right around then. Fuck, I love Gerald's Game. I know. (laughs) So much. Uh. So it really did start to shape the way so many of us are consuming media. And I think for something like Tragedy Girls, that was to its benefit. I think so. This movie feels like it 
pretty much lives on like Hulu or something at any given time. Yeah, because Tragedy Girls is really scrappy, but it also is a movie that you really can't put in a box Mm -hmm. because you could say like, oh, it's a horror comedy. Yeah, but it's like a really dark horror comedy. Like this isn't Shaun of the Dead levels of horror comedy. Oh, yeah. No, this is a tough sell of a movie to people who aren't horror fans, as was very obvious from the people that we subjected to (laughs) at the (laughs) bar. Right. And it's also a movie, first and foremost, that is centered on and telling the story of teen girls. Mm -hmm. And while I would argue that horror, outside of like just like the standard teen girl genre, horror is the genre that is the most forgiving of having women protagonists Mm -hmm. compared to anyone else. But it's still a teen girl horror movie and it is an unapologetically teen girl horror movie. A very feminine very queer teen girl horror movie. Yeah, and that's a hard sell to your typical just neckbeard, mouth-breathing horror bros. They're not going to tune in for something like this. Mm -hmm. But because you have the internet, which means people are then able to immediately share their thoughts and opinions about the movie, and this movie was very, very smart because it was very Mm gifable, and there was a big push on Twitter to share and talk about and bring people's attention to this movie mm-hmm. that was very very smart so this movie did find its audience yeah and i think that a lot of these less giant horror films you know something that isn't a get out or an it as an example they're benefiting so much more from this current environment for film Mm-hmm. And it's almost to a, a detriment in some cases where there's just a glut of content. But mm-hmm. this was almost in that first wave of it where it was still super fresh and exciting. And I think streaming services made a really big deal out of new releases like this. Oh, absolutely. And this has such a striking image of the pink and green masks. Mm-hmm. They're neon and they're like they're so vibrant. And this is also we're in we're in the world of like the purge area, so now we're yes. getting a lot of these mask looks that people are used to. So it kind of hit like a perfect intersection, as far as I'm concerned. I agree, and this really came out at a very interesting time for teen media mm-hmm. because if you look at like teen films, this was not maybe the biggest year. Some of the bigger releases were like Call Me by Your Name, or which I would argue is not a teen movie, but. It's a coming-of-age movie. It, it, it's, it's the same thing as Lady Bird, which also came out this year, where I don't think Lady Bird was meant for teens. No, both of those movies are about teens, but they're movies meant for adults. They're yeah. meant for you to do like an introspective on how you were at that age. Exactly. And we had things like um, the, the live-action Beauty and the Beast or Pitch Perfect 3, which was much more teen-oriented. But even mm-hmm. then, I mean, Pitch Perfect is still a college-age film. Right. So this is like a weird wasteland for teen cinema getting major releases at the time. Mm-hmm. However, where teen media was thriving was in television. Oh, yeah. Because we're still riding the coattails of like a post-Twilight world. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of horror and supernatural-themed shows that are on. Mm -hmm. I just want to kind of look at those real quick. All right, give me that laundry list. So, bunch of entries. The big one that never went away until very recently was Supernatural. Oh, yeah, Supernatural, I feel like, is omnipresent. (laughs) I think it still isn't fully dead yet. Yeah. It's just never going to be properly dead. (laughs) Uh, You also had, like, 
Scream Queens, which ended at like the end of December in 2016. Mm-hmm. So that's still. Which means it's going to hit streaming in 2017. Yeah, 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 exactly. You have iZombie. Mm-hmm. You have Stranger Things, which started in the summer of 2016, but I, like a lot of people that I knew, didn't see it until 2017. Mm-hmm. You have three major shows that all ended in 2017 between The Vampire Diaries, Teen Wolf, and Pretty Little Liars. Do you know what I think killed them? The start of Riverdale? Yes, because Riverdale also came out this <laughs> because year. Because Riverdale is if you were to take like Teen Wolf and Pretty Little Liars and the Vampire Diaries and threw them in a blender and then gave them really beautiful lighting and let them fuck each other. Like that's yeah. <laughs> that's Riverdale. Yeah, Riverdale kind of ushered in this new wave of teen-oriented media mm-hmm. in, a, in a way where people are really, really detrimental and mean to the show, and I don't think that's fair. Because they hate camp. It's that That's why. You yeah. Ha- they hate fun. Yeah. And, or maybe you're just getting fucking old, and this was the last... This is like the new generation of shows like this that is coming out now. They took the torch from all these shows that had just ended. <laughs> there is a cracked sketch from years and years ago, like early days of the internet, where it's somebody complaining about how MTV doesn't play music anymore. And it's this guy in a suit pretending to be an MTV exec. And he basically gives this big laundry list as to why MTV stopped playing music videos and instead focused on reality TV. And it basically is like, hey, you're old. This isn't for you anymore. Mm -hmm. Things have changed. This is what the new target audience likes. But he says it so smugly you're not our demo anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to say whenever people are like, I don't like Riverdale. Ugh, I don't like these CW shows. You're not the demo. It's true. And I don't <laughs> watch Riverdale. But you know what? I'm also not going to shit on Riverdale. Something I will shit on that actually is the perfect segue for how uh, this movie really shines a spotlight on we as a culture really loving tragedy. Mm-hmm. And that is that this was also the year that 13 Reasons Why started. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. And I think that that's probably a good way to just go right into talking about the themes of the movie if you want. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's talk about some of the themes that were going on in Tragedy Girls. So obviously, let's talk about the name of Tragedy Girls. So when you hear the title Tragedy Girls... What does that mean to you in the context of this movie? In the context of this movie, it's their brand. Mm-hmm. 100%. This is a brand. Like, the movie's title is not just what they do. It is who they are. This is their identity. This is what you need to know them as. Hashtag th- tragedy girls. Hashtag tragedy girls. And I think that that's... First off, I'm so fucking thankful this movie is not called hashtag tragedy girls. Oh, God, right? <laughs> I would have been the most upset. Um, <laughs> but I I love that this movie is their brand because this is also when, like, influencer culture is starting to fucking explode. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a teacher, and the amount of times that my kids would write when I ask, like, what do you want to do when you get older? What do you want to be when you grow up? That kind of, you know, typical question. I want to be a streamer. I want to be a game player. I want to be a pro video gamer. I want to be an influencer. I want to be on Instagram. I want to be mm-hmm. whatever. I want to be on TikTok star. These are now like viable careers mm-hmm. that people can have. And because it's so visible and because the people that are becoming these influencers are quote unquote just like you, it now has like melted the minds of so many people to be like, oh, yeah, I don't have to do anything. I can just become famous on the internet, and that's my job for the rest of my life. 
Yeah, it's pretty much the thing that everyone shat on Paris Hilton for 15 years ago, and it's now a viable career to the point where there is a massive glut of options in the mm-hmm. same way that we do with streaming options. Mm-hmm. There's just never been more things to put in your eyes than now. <laughs> <laughs> and even the Tragedy Girls have uh, have competition, and that's kind of what a lot of their victims are, or it's inadvert- someone who is inadvertently stealing their spotlight. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Josh Hutcherson is one of like the main competitors to them is so funny to me, because Josh Hutcherson Get shit on a lot for being in the Hunger Games. PETA. And being PETA. But he's also in Detention, which is a movie I don't think you've seen. No. But is amazing, and he's fantastic in it. And he... Josh Hutcherson is somebody who always knows the assignment, even when the assignment is like, be subtly cool and kind of a dick. Yeah. And like, he can pull it off, and What's he's up? great. My, name, my name's Toby, but you can call me Tobes. <laughs> yeah, it's very much that energy. Just, just going to have a fucking guitar and ride his motorcycle and just being like the most American cool guy. Yeah, he's a cool guy. And all of the girls fawn over him because he's sensitive. <laughs> sensitive. But yeah, he's, you know, kind of stepping on their turf and obviously like Highlander rules. He's 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 got to die. I'm sorry. That's just how that works. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of really love that a lot of these early victims specifically because we have our two tragedy girls. Mm-hmm. They are Michaela and Sadie. Mm-hmm. Sadie is kind of the ringleader between these two, at least in the earlier half of this movie. Yeah. And pretty much all of the targets of this are like Sadie going, yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, fuck pretty that much. girl. <laughs> I hate you. I'm going to kill you. And then does. <laughs> yeah. Sadie, I think, is a little bit more vindictive than Michaela because I think Sadie has a little bit more anger in her life because something I find really interesting is this movie is about these two girls that have been inseparable best friends forever. Mm-hmm. Like, they are definitely, like, the Romy and Michelle type friendship where you cannot have one without the other. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. I love movies that do this. But they come from very different worlds. Oh, yeah. Michaela has, you know, a, a stable home life and lives in, a like, a, like a nice house. She's got a nice-ass house. And she has very nice parents. And I love her dad. They're so supportive and cute. Dad is so trying his hardest, but also says the dumbest things constantly. Yeah, it's great. Like, it's very much like, that's a relatable dad. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) And then we have Stadie, who is kind of living this, a a step above like a Nancy Downs life where she's, she's in a trailer, she's with her dad, they don't get along. Like, there's... They seem to get along okay. I think they're more so just like cohabiting the same space. Yeah, like it's not like a, a like violent. We don't situation. hate each other, but we don't hang out. I yeah. make you dinner and then I leave. Yeah, that's very much where we're at. Like, like they seem to be fine. Yeah. Okay, you're right. You're right. I was a little bit harsher than what's really happening in that, this situation. That's because this is more of my world where I'm used to just cohabiting spaces with each <laughs> other. So I know fighting when I see it. You're you're from the happy Michaela light world where you hang out and eat waffles with your family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they were also frozen waffles because we were poor. But yes, I did have a, a happy home life, which is, you know, privilege. <laughs> Yay! But that really does tie into their characters. Very much so. And and you see that shine through, that that anger and resentment that Sadie has. And honestly, there's a bit of jealousy that, mm-hmm. you know, 
rears its evil little head every once in a while. And that's a natural course of friendship. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, because while yes, I am very fortunate that uh, like I'm not a child of like a broken home. My parents are Mm -hmm. still together, but we were poor. Mm -hmm. And that did impact a lot of my friendships because a lot of my friends came from money. Mm-hmm. And that is a world I will never fucking understand yeah, me ever in my life. Like if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would not know what to do. Like I would probably be like, I guess it's going to go in savings. <laughs> Maybe I'll buy shoes. Who knows? And everyone's like, you're going to buy a house? That's too much money. That's expensive. You literally have a billion dollars. You can do anything. No, that's okay. I it love could how you just turned into Jennifer Coolidge <laughs> <laughs> for that whole thing. <laughs> but for real, though, Sadie is definitely uh, vindictive against some of the stuff that's going on in Michaela's life. Like, they still love each other. They're still best friends. But it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you have a crush on Toby? Fuck it. We have to kill Toby. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then, you know, Sadie has a crush on Jordan. Mm-hmm. I don't want to kill Jordan. Yeah, we don't want to kill Randy Craig's son. Yeah, and he's the right age for this movie. Like, he got held back. Okay, fine. But he looks like he's, like, 34. And the thing is, it's not his It's not his fault. He has, no, he has his, smile lines. He's got his dad's face, which is just awkward and looks like a man, even as a boy. Yeah, we've talked about this before on the podcast with how some actresses can have, like, mom face, mm-hmm. where it doesn't matter how young they are, their face is just presented more maturely and that greatly impacts how the audience receives them oh like when we learned recently that jennifer coolidge was apparently 35 in american pie yes and it's just like oh no i'm getting so old (laughs) so soon yeah and i think that uh i think jack quaid has he just has dad face Uh like there's nothing wrong with it he's He's the appropriate age for this movie. He just has dead face. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do like that the people in this movie do read as teenagers because one of my pet peeves is when you cast like 35-year-olds in high school movies. Like all of Greece. Why would you reopen just the... That wound's never going to close. I know. It just It's a constant scab that is just getting picked at and picked at. Honestly, no. It's like that thing in Knives and Skin where it's just the constantly bleeding forehead wound. <laughs> that's grease. Yes, that's grease for me. Actually, no, grease for me is like that giant like hunchback-sized pimple that you see on like Dr. Pimple Popper videos where everyone's like, how did it get that bad? And it's like, because it just did. That's me. I'm just constantly being weighed down just by that. decades of grease festering. God, fuck Grease. I hate it so much. Yeah. So anyway, I also appreciate it when they cast actual teens or at the very least, much closer to teens. Yeah, like early, early 20-somethings. Yes, I I like that. that. It's great. (laughs) I like it too. But yeah, we have these these two girls that are trying to be famous Mm -hmm. and trying to be famous by capitalizing on tragedy. Mm -hmm. And... um, I don't know what is more 2017 because 2017 is also when we're getting an explosion of true crime podcasts. And who loves true crime the most? Women. Yeah. So do you know what happened in 2016 that was hugely uh, impactful in the true crime world? Um, I'm assuming a, a major tragedy happened or a major brand started my favorite murder started in 2016 gotcha and for the first time the world of true crime became very very feminine Mm -hmm. and here's the thing this is no shade to karen kilgariff and georgia hardstark 
I love them as people. Mm -hmm. And my favorite murder is just a complete force that I don't think anyone predicted how big it was going to become. Mm -hmm. But it definitely spawned like that stereotype we have of like wine moms. Mm -hmm. Like there's like true crime documentaries and chill kind of people now. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot that can be said about the specifically female obsession with true crime. Mm -hmm. And I understand a lot of the psychology behind it. And what I find really interesting is that for a lot of women who are super into true crime, they tend to cite that it gives them a sense of safety and understanding of like a very broken and unjust world, considering how many women just exist in constant fear because the threat of violence is constant. Mm -hmm. And this is a situation where Sadie and Michaela are obsessed with true crime, but from the complete opposite angle. They want to be the perpetrators of violence and their obsession with wanting to learn from this serial killer is because they w they're not trying to like understand him or learn how to defeat him. They want to be like him. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting to me. <laughs> what? Of course we know. We're your biggest fans, dude. Seen everything you've ever done. Well, everything we know about. We're pretty sure it's four. Since last May, is that right? Five plus Craig. <gasps> Totes. You know, you can follow us if if you want. It's at Tragedy Girls. That's two, plural. Mm. See this? You wouldn't believe how relieved we were when you started knocking off freshies. This town can be, like, so boring. It took us a while to figure you out, but we did. Mm -hmm. How many weeks apart before he strikes again? You really have a thing for girls with short hair. Fortunately for everyone, I look great in a pixie cut. She does. All it took was a few boys to help set the trap. Do you know how many hand jobs this girl had to give? Like, 30. But you finally showed. And you didn't disappoint. I mean, as a movie, this is really just the natural progression of where Heather's would be in 2017. Oh, totally. Or this is like 2017's version of Scream 1, but told from Billy and Stu's yeah. perspective. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that you mention safety and the um, the very strong woman audience that exists in the true crime world, because we, at the bar I used to work at, you know, story time. We would do a true crime trivia event every year, and it would pack the bar. Mm -hmm. And in my infinite wisdom, I thought it would be fun if for it's like round one, all about the dangers in your own backyard, because Ohio has produced a massive amount of major tragedies and serial killers, more than anywhere else in the country. Yep, it's pretty bad. That yeah. should be the first fucking sign as to why we moved out of Ohio. There's lots of reasons, one of which I'll get to very shortly. So... I thought that'd be fun because it's like, hey, we're just, you know, we don't have to go very far for these questions, so it might as well open the night. And I had so many people tell me, um, you started with that and it really killed the vibe of the whole night and we couldn't have fun because it got too real. And an aspect of what makes true crime so fun is like the fantasy and the distance of it. But like this was too close to home. And my, I, I think to myself as I, awkwardly twiddle my index fingers together. Um, Cleveland has one of the highest rates of trans murders in the country. It used to be the highest for a long time. And uh, it sure is nice that you can distance yourself from tragedies and then tell me how, oh, it's fun to really glamorize and fantasize about tragedy and learn the name of every killer. But I don't actually want to think about like how close it is to me. That's too, that's not fun anymore. Mm -hmm. And that made me so mad that I said, I never want to do this fucking event again. And they went, it makes too much money. You have to. <laughs>
Yeah, it's uh, it is really something because that's very true. Well, it's like how we don't like to generally think of victims, but we know the names of every killer. I mean, they announced today they're making yet another Ted Bundy movie. But why? I don't know. And this one's with Chad Michael Murray. So on one hand, I'm like, oh my God, I love Chad Michael Murray. I love that he's getting work again. And on the other hand, I'm like, but why is it another goddamn fucking Ted Bundy movie? We've ha- We've got it. We get it. We all pretend that he was charming, but he really actually wasn't. I, I understand. What more can you possibly tell me about because this? Because we're just going to keep going to the well of the Mount Rushmore of murder because those names draw money. They do. They draw a lot of money because and, of this obsession with tragedy. And that's something that this movie doesn't shy away from. And I love it. One of my favorite details of this movie is that Tragedy exists in the background of the whole film. It's everywhere. Not just like the murders. They're in the classroom and there's a giant board in the background that says, what if Martin Luther King had an Instagram? And then it's got these like bad Photoshop things. And it's like, wow, that sure is a weird way of modernizing and glamorizing and trivializing murder. Yeah. Or when their prom is, and granted this is a deliberate choice, but their prom is the sinking of the Titanic. Yeah, it's just so fucking funny I don't, to me. I think it's great. It's clearly a deliberate choice from the characters because it's like, ha, 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 won't this be cute, a night to remember? But when you think of Titanic, you don't think, ah, yes, a shipwreck. You think, ah, yes, the romance of the 90s movie. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 the, it's the human spirit and love that can persevere tragic Arctic waters and also... Michael Bay trying to do the same thing with Pearl Harbor and every other movie that's came out since that does the same thing. Yeah, no, you're completely right. Is that this movie is doing a really, really good job at showcasing how we have romanticized and sort of flipped the narrative on tragic events and like we've made them palatable and fun. Like the Martin Luther King like Instagram one is particularly egregious in like a very smart and satirical way. So when I say it's egregious, I'm not saying like, oh, that was in bad taste and they shouldn't have done that. That's no, because they're purpose. it's on bad taste on purpose because they're fucking right. Mm-hmm. Because especially in the last couple of years that we've been having this quest for racial justice and there's been a lot of push with the Black Lives Matter movement, we see constantly like Republican pundits who don't want to treat black people with equality, like cherry picking quotes for Martin Luther King Jr. and pretending like he wasn't fucking assassinated Mm -hmm. for trying to make progress with civil rights. Like, it's so bananas how culturally we've just been like, na, 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 let's add a little bit of sugar and let's add a little bit of glitter and we're going to make it very pretty now. It's very nice. The first pride was a riot. Throw bricks at cops. Go fuck yourselves. Like, stop (laughs) trivializing serious shit. Or you see these people and they, they, they post memes and share things like, oh, be gay, do crimes. But like, what, what crimes are you committing? What, what, what sense of rebellion are you co-opting? You, you borrow your friend's Disney Plus password? Yeah. Cool. You, you stick it to them. Honest, I don't know. Honestly, we've just hit a point where we're so starved for content and drama and beca- have become desensitized to stuff like this. That this is our version of a Shakespearean tragedy, but it's way more macabre and depressing. Ooh, that's a really intriguing thought. Because, like, Shakespeare, everyone dies in Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's how it works. But in 21st century America, everybody dies. 
but it's not like romantic and the throes of battle and passion. It's like senseless violence. Yay. <laughs> That's a violence really for the good sake point. of fame. That is a really, really good point. Yeah. It's almost like we have this weird lizard brain desire that in order to process all of this tragedy, like we have to add something that makes it palatable and makes it digestible. Well, that's the thing that I always think is really interesting about digesting true crime specifically is that sometimes there's no like mastermind aspect to it. Some people are just crazy and mm-hmm. you're trying to add reason to a senseless action and you can't. Oh yeah. And we're so desperate to try to figure that out. Like, yeah. so desperate for it. So and, we, want, we want there to be some sort of meaning and not be, like, just terrified that there's, no one, that, that there's no one at the wheel. And that's what I love so much about Sadie and Michaela is because for all intents and purposes, these are senseless acts of violence. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, we know that the, the main... selfish, if nothing else. Yeah, the main yeah. motivation is they want to be famous. They want mm-hmm. to make themselves known. And it's easier for them to commit the crimes and then report on it mm-hmm. themselves. That's not a new idea, but putting it through this kind of like Instagram culture lens, that is that is what makes it new, because we would see that again in the movie Infamous with Belle Thorne, which is very similar. It's It's much more direct about what it's doing. Yeah, they're very much more direct where it's a uh, like a Bonnie and Clyde story and then she fucking live streams the whole thing on her phone because she's Mm -hmm. a dingus. But as far as the acts that are being committed by Sadie and Michaela, it is so senseless and so just like mindless because like they're killing people but then they're also cutting people up and then they're intentionally trying to make sure that it doesn't look like an accident because their first couple of times look like an accident yes (laughs) and they make the one kid disappear too well yeah (laughs) so then it's like well shit we got to make it look intentional and just watching their process through how to do it, like we're not getting some tragic backstory of why these two are just so broken and how could they do this? They're not oh getting my their gosh. own Cruella story. Yeah, they're not getting that. It's like they're just vindictive and evil and they want to be famous and this is how they're doing it and mm-hmm. that means people have to die. And I kind of love that. I love when there's no true like psychoanalytical bullshit behind why people are doing it because that's the reality of a lot of the violence that exists in this world. We can't just sit here and go, oh, it was the violent video games. Oh, it was this. Oh, it was that. Because sometimes you just don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been listening to a podcast about Columbine recently. And one of the things that was talked about with the host is that there was so much misinformation spread about what really happened in Columbine because it was solely based in journalists and the public just needing an answer, needing mm-hmm. something to blame, needing something to explain away this just out-of-control tragedy. And so then it was like, oh, it's because they were goth. Oh, it was because bullying. Oh, it was because trench coat mafia. Oh, it was because of all these things. Oh, it was because jocks are bad. And none of that shit was true, and yet 21 years later, people still believe that shit. Mm-hmm. So Tragedy Girls is basically like, nah, we're going to show you. Guess, you want to know what the, the reason is? There's no reason. Fame. The end. Yeah, it's completely selfish. And I kind of like how we view this through a very modern lens because at first the girls are trying to like ape on other things to get get their names out there to build their social media brand, which can we talk about brands later? Because I, I want to get on that. I want to get on that topic too. Of course, of course. I mean, cool. we touched on it a little bit uh, when we first started, but I think there's plenty more meat on that bone. Oh, oh, so much. But they eventually go to like the news reporter and it's like, 
oh, hey, did you hear about this murder? And she's like, well, I heard it was an accident. It's like, but there were multiple stab wounds I heard. Mm -hmm. And ever since news has become a system of fear-mongering entertainment in this country. Oh, yeah. The 24-hour news cycle is the worst thing that's ever fucking happened to us. Honestly, that's probably where our weird issues with tragedy stems from in Mm -hmm. this, this very modern sense. And eventually they circumvent it and just end up committing enough horrible actions and doing enough fucked up shit that they get big on their own and then the news cycle's coming to them. You mean like Twitter? Yeah, (laughs) I know. Yeah. That's the unfortunate reality too is that because there are legal limitations that journalists have to work within, like one of my biggest pet peeves is when somebody is accused of an act, Mm -hmm. right? And then a newspaper says like, so-and-so allegedly had inappropriate relationships with a young woman mm-hmm. or like they'll say it like that. And then people will be like, why couldn't you just say that they raped a girl or that they're a pedophile? It's like, well, because in some of these instances, like by saying that, like you're ac- you're publicly accusing them of a crime that they have not been found guilty on and you can get in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, like something that makes me so angry to this day is that you cannot like in print call the person who shot Tamir Rice a murderer because he was not found guilty. Yeah. And when I was working at a newspaper and would talk about any updates with like the Tamir Rice Center or anything that his mom was doing, I could not call that cop a murderer because that's, I'd get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times like people don't understand how the news works and like the parameters they have to work within. So then instead, what you do have, though, is a lot of activism and a lot of, like, grassroots journalism that don't have to play by those rules that exist on places like Twitter. And Mm -hmm. that's when we're sharing these videos of police brutality. And that's when we're showing a lot of these things that don't have to go through, like, this intense and rigorous fact-checking process to prevent being sued Mm -hmm. the way that newspapers do. Yeah, so it's both good and bad. Yes. Because... I think about how growing up, um, there there was this teacher in in my school system, mm-hmm. and uh, there there was a long since unsolved murder mm-hmm. that was committed in the Northeast Ohio area, mm-hmm. and based on like a police sketch and a few minor details, this teacher was accused of a murder from like 15, 20 years ago. Oh, is this the Amy Mahaljevic story? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 And. He never was committed. There was no evidence that said he did it at all. Him and like, you know, dozens of other people that were accused of it. But the whole community went, oh, yeah, no, that teacher had anger issues. Like he would yell at students. Like I, we absolutely believe that he did it. And they ruined this dude's life because they just were convinced like, oh, well, I mean, he's a suspect. That means he did it. And this dude had to flee the state because everyone thought he was a murderer. That's such shit. Like, everyone wants to be, like, the crack team behind the don't fuck with cats people, uh-huh. but they're not often that smart or that capable, and they make things way worse. No, what they end up becoming are the people in, like, the Elisa Lamb story where they then start sending death threats and harassment to some, like, random metal singer in Spain because they think he's a Satanist who was there at the same time because people have too much time on their hands. Um yes. So I, I like that we're able to circumvent the new system and actually be able to show things because, you know, a year ago, if you look at what was going on in the news at the time, it was a very different story than mm-hmm. what was actually happening 
in the world. Mm -hmm. Like the conversations we had to have with people like your parents' age who we were just watching the news and they're like, oh no, this is horrible. Like these people are monsters and they're raiders and looters. And it's like, no, they're not. You're just getting a very specific lens of a circumstance. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't know, man. I don't know where I'm going with this, but there's a lot of weird ways we process tragedy and how information gets around. Mm -hmm. And maybe, it's just maybe, the Remember Al chants of Sadie and Michaela are coming from a weird self-servicing place. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I have no room to talk on this because I am white as fuck. But, so am I. But I think a lot about how the amount of activists like really fucking hate Sean King because they're like, this dude is trying to self-serve off of tragedy. Like, he's trying to like start fundraisers and hashtags and whatever on behalf of people who didn't fucking ask for it. And what I find really interesting about, and I mean, he's also like pocketing the money, like bad dude, like block Sean King. But when it comes to... Sadie and Michaela, and yeah, they're starting that like Remember Al chant. They are doing it because it hypes up what they're going after, mm -hmm. and it also then deflects from what they did because they did it. Like they killed him. Yeah. They killed Craig Robinson by stabbing and poisoning and dropping a giant weight on his forehead. Craig Robinson took a pounding in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he really did. He got destroyed in this movie. Uh. Um, and I, I think that this movie is doing so many really smart things in that regard because these are things that we're now recognizing today in 2021 and noticing like people suck and they do this very like performative nonsense when it comes to tragedy. And this movie was doing that beforehand being like, hey, maybe maybe look into it because sometimes uh, <laughs> the call might be coming from inside the house. Who's to say? Like we've been walking for fucking hours. And calves are killing me. And we're only a third of the way. Oh, damn it. The fact that we're just kind of talking about the themes of this movie and circumstances in the world and not the movie specifically says a lot about what this movie's tackling. Because I think this movie's really, really smart. I mean, we could sit here and dissect like, well, I really liked when they were uh, dismembering that body and making different choices. Like, oh my yeah. God, the practical gore effects are impeccable. Which they, they are. They're great. The practical yeah. gore in this is really, really good. Yeah. But like, that's really boring. And that's a conversation that you can have on, mm, I don't know, every single review of this movie that all says the same thing. Yeah, and just fucking go, to, the bars are opening back up. Go to a bar and have a conversation with somebody about that <laughs> stuff. Because that's like friendly, good time bar talk. Let's We're here to get ugly and gritty. Yeah, we're here to dig out like why this movie is important and why it's cool. Uh -huh. And you mentioned branding. And I'm just, I'm, I want to know like what tunnel you would like me to go down on this log ride. There's a million, a million tunnels. It probably doesn't make <laughs> for a safe theme park ride, honestly, that there's options. <laughs> But I really hate the concept of people fighting for their brand uh -huh. because that's just kind of how jobs are. If you want to have any kind of job, you have to have social media because you're expected to. And people want to be able to keep tabs on you and make mm -hmm. sure that you're not popping off saying horrible shit in your spare time. And I I don't know. I, I'm exhausted by the idea of having a brand. 
I, I don't I don't understand the appeal of it. I don't understand this obsession with it, but No brands just vibes. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I don't I don't really know. I don't understand it. The fact that people have like, well, um, you can't actually talk about this thing because that's my brand. You can't yeah. do this because that's my brand. If you want to talk about this thing, you have to go through me because like I've I've established that that's my thing. Yeah, that okay. That's especially a really, in really the horror sphere. That's a thing. Yeah, it's very much a thing. The other day, I tweeted something about how the roots of horror are queer. So if you like horror, then congrats, you like gay shit. Yeah. And then somebody did a reply. It was like, I've been working all these personal essays and she just tweeted it out. And I was like, that's cute. That's funny. But then someone else replied to it and they were like, your brand. And I was like, I'm sorry. You cannot co-opt queer horror as a brand. Like we are literally recording this for a queer horror festival. <laughs> there are going to be a lot of attendees. There are going to be a lot of people participating and doing wonderful talks. Queer horror belongs to all of us. Like, it's not one person's brand. And to think that it could be one person's brand or that there is one singular voice of, like, what queer horror can be is so silly and ridiculous because there is no one way to be a fan of queer horror or to be a queer and a fan of horror. I'm really glad there isn't. That'd be awful. (laughs) Oh, we would be, like, we're not a monolith. And, like, stop talking as if we are. We all have so many. It's a whole lot of white gay guy brand, but we're starting to break out of that, which is really nice. Right. It's just, it's so frustrating. It's like we all have, like, we all have such varying lived experiences. So the idea of branding to me is so silly, especially, like, as a person. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that is really ridiculous. Yeah, trying to have a brand be so broad like that is like when um it was like when the fine brothers tried to copyright reacts <laughs> right it's like uh you can't do that that's so you know <laughs> like, yeah. you can't just be like um my brand is uh zombie movies you're not allowed to talk about that unless i'm invited to the party yeah that's the like, s- no that's the silliest thing in the world and you have that in this movie where Sadie and Michaela have to go up and talk to Peta or Tobe in this movie, where it's like, um, yeah, you're kind of doing exactly what we're doing. And, you know, if you could get a, sh- a shout out, that'd be really great. And he's like, yeah, I don't do that because I'm a cool douchebag guy. Mm-hmm. And then they murder him. Yeah. Because that is their brand. Right. And that's the thing is I think that so many people get consumed with this idea of like what is or is not their brand. And they start to cannibalize anything around them that is anything like it. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. It's like, no, when one of us thrives, like, it's good for all of us. I, why, are, why are we becoming a snake eating its own tail? Like, stop it. There's only so much pie. And some people want the biggest piece. Bake another fucking pie! That's hard. There's <sighs> already one pie here. <laughs> God, that's really what's going on. And it's just infuriating. But, like, the thing about branding and pie is, like, they're stealing another dude's brand. Like, they're, they're literally copying an existing killer. That's a really good point. So they're like, um, you didn't monetize this, so we're going to swoop in and do that for you. That is an incredibly good point. And if anything, really sort of exemplifies brand culture in a nutshell like the amount of people on tiktok that are like hi i'm a hearing person and i'm going to monetize teaching asl no let Mm -hmm. deaf people do that or like hi i'm a white lady and i'm gonna teach you how to do traditional hawaiian dance 
no, mm-hmm. let Hawaiian people do that. <laughs> like, what? But people do that shit all the time. They appropriate and then they, they are, this is serial killer appropriation harmony. For, for this giant man with his vague Buffalo Bill droll. It really is. You pointed it out and then I couldn't unhear it. Yeah, it's very like, oh, wait. <laughs> She's a great big fat person. It's, it's, it's very that. Like, it, 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 I don't know if it's that or just that actor's voice just in general because he also sounds a lot like that in Wild Wild West. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it, it's a little on the nose, which adds an extra layer to the whole like, Michaela, you're like me. <laughs> I'm also gay. <laughs> Whether it was intentional or not, there definitely feels to be a little bit of in-joke with that. Because this movie, ultimately, it's a, it's a comedy. It's a dark comedy. Yeah, there's a lot of self-referential stuff. Totally. There's so many references to other horror movies. Like, oh, that was a Final Destination kill right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very much that. And I think that's what makes this movie so fun to talk about because there's so many different angles in which you can approach it. Mm-hmm. And since you got me on a queer horror rant a little bit earlier... I want to talk about the queerness in this movie because mm-hmm. the creators have said like, yeah, we're like, it's cool if you see queerness in here, but they were not written that way. And a beautiful. Really? Yeah. Really? And a beautiful thing about queer horror to me is we've spent our entire lives having to headcanon ourselves into things and we've all gotten real good at it. So in this instance, like, was it their intention to make this a queer movie? No, but guess what it is? Mm-hmm. And it's ours and we're going to take it. So it's fine. Yeah, maybe they're trying to go for this like Grady sisters thing where they're like holding hands in their cute dresses or whatever. But there's a lot of like touchiness. There's a lot of possessiveness going on. Like there's moments where where they like where they're resting each other's face on the other's shoulder and like their faces are touching mm-hmm. and I'm like this is this just how kids are they're just really touchy-feely with their their friends like this I don't know so I one- grew up in a, a very boyish world where it's just like yeah you can't even talk in the restroom much less touch me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the one thing that I will say is that female friendships do tend to be a lot more touchy-feely and intimate than I would say most say (laughs) because my best friend and i are definitely the type that we will sit on the couch and then just like lean on each other and it's like the little head stacking thing you do where one head goes on a shoulder the other head goes on top of the head like Mm -hmm. we do a lot of that um she has touched every part of my body in some way shape or form at some point and it's never been like a sexual thing it's completely platonic have you ever had a sad montage after you get into a fight with your best friend where you're like having sex in a car and then listlessly looking out the window thinking of someone else i've never gone that far okay because again it's a little gay that's why this movie's a little gay <laughs> <laughs> and so something that i thought was really cool is zoe fortier um i'm probably saying your name wrong i'm so sorry wrote an article in July of 2020 for Phoenix Gaming called Women and Queerness in Horror, Tragedy Girls. Mm-hmm. And the writer brings up that uh, Terry Mesnard of Gaily Dreadful put out a poll asking people, like, first, like, how do you identify? And also, do you view these characters as queer? Mm-hmm. And here, here are the results. Granted, it's a Twitter poll, so this is not some, like, 
well-researched article from Yale or some bullshit. Just a Twitter poll. Just playing fast and loose, but Just playing fast and loose. The numbers are there. The numbers are there. So according to Terry's poll, an average of 36.4% of LGBTQ plus viewers saw Sadie and Michaela as best friends, while only 19.5% saw them as lovers. Okay. Comparatively, 62.4% of straight viewers saw them as best friends, and only 11.7% saw them as lovers. So there were definitely more queer people that viewed them as a queer couple, or at least queer-coded couple, Mm -hmm. than straight people. Which makes sense to me because straight people have terrible gay art. I understand. Mm-hmm. It's it's not their fault. They were born this way. They can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. That's that's my uh, commentary for the day on that. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. Um, but what I also find really interesting is that in Zoe's article, they go on to talk about how the structure of Tragedy Girls follows like a rom-com formula. Okay. In the sense that we have these two girls that are just absolutely inseparable. They're so, so in love. Then something comes between them. And then they end up reuniting. Because Mm -hmm. their love is what conquers all. That is the most important aspect of this movie. Is Mm -hmm. the relationship between these two girls. And what needs to be done to preserve that relationship. In this case, killing Jack Quaid. (laughs) In this case, burning every other person in their school alive. Yes. There's no other competition now. Yes. That's very much what we're, what we're dealing with here. Um, there's also then the instance of just presentation in general. Like, Brianna Hildebrandt reads hella queer. And Fortunately, she looks great in a pixie cut. She looks great in a pixie cut. Oh, my she God. She does. Um, and she she is out. So she is, she is queer. Mm-hmm. She said that she's... I don't think she's given like a label to it and I'm not going to speculate, but she has admitted that like that she falls under the, the queer umbrella. Mm-hmm. So we have this character who has this short pixie cut with kind of like hard femme styling. And I find so that stylish. she's so stylish and I love that about her. And she's also a cheerleader and Michaela's also a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And I love that sort of presentation of her because one we don't see girls with short hair in movies a lot like we no. really don't and if we do they don't get to be femme mm-hmm. so as a hard femme myself i greatly relate mm-hmm. but whether we want to or not we still as a culture associate short hair on women with like queerness mm-hmm. So it's really hard when you're looking at the two of them and they're being affectionate and your brain is sort of like waving these buzzers of like, that's a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever you look at Brianna Hildebrand, that visibility makes the film, I think, feel exponentially more queer regardless of intention. Yeah. But you also you have the aspect that like they're ride or die and they hate the conformity of high school. Mm-hmm. They, they hate the system of high school. and. They're part of the prom committee, probably just to, to orchestrate their grand tragedy at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. But after Sadie gets with Jordan, like this cute guy who likes horror movies and they talk about Dario Argento together. Ah. I do love that she introduces him to martyrs. Like that's 100 really percent like a power move <laughs> I would have pulled in high school. Yeah. So just see if he can hang. I relate. Yes. <laughs> but Michaela and Sadie are ride or die and they're together and they're social outcast and like they're cheerleaders, but they hate it mm-hmm. and they're prom committee, but they, there's, it's means to an end or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
But then she ends up with Jordan and suddenly she starts to cheer more. She becomes like this public figure who's like revels in having stopped the killer rather than be a killer. She she abandons her goal. And I can't help but read that as her being going stealthfully hetero, as her choosing to assimilate by her giving up the thing that made her monstrous. She's no longer a monstrous femme. She's no longer this queer abomination who's committing murders. She's a good upstanding member of society. Look at her. She's even a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. So I have a theory here, and this article by Zoe also backs up this theory, which I greatly enjoy. Okay. So the way that Zoe makes the read of Sadie and Michaela is the same as Billy and Stu in Scream. Okay. And here's where I believe this. So a major motivator behind Billy being with Sydney is because like that's part of the master plan, mm-hmm. right? Is that he has to be with Sydney, he has to gain her trust, he has to be able to get her where he wants her in order to kill her mm-hmm. to enact, you know, the the big revenge. Like that's what needs to happen. Who is Jordan in the world of tragedy girls? I suppose that would make him Sydney. He's the sheriff's son. Oh. So by Sadie having a romantic relationship with him, one that she's not particularly invested in because as we know, she's constantly thinking about Michaela. And she murdered his mom. We've got that. Yeah. But she's now putting herself in a position where it's avoiding suspect because she's dating the sheriff's son. She saves him. Right. So that, you know, gets people off the trail of thinking that it could possibly be them. But also, she now becomes privy to more information about, like, what the sheriff is doing, what the police are doing, because she dates the son, and he's going to tell her the things that he's overheard. I mean, he steals information Mm -hmm. and pictures off the computer for her. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's all part of this master plan, and ultimately, once she gets from him what she needs then he has to die because it was never about him. It was about what he could offer. And now she's with Michaela and holding hands, not unlike Stu, putting his face right in the nook of Billy when they finally get Sydney in her place. The only difference here is that women are far more capable than men, and they actually succeed with what they're trying to do. They also never expound on their elaborate plot so that it can be properly foiled. Right. They don't need that ego boost. The ego boost is just the clicks on Twitter. Right. <laughs> Looks as likes. They're just piling up. She's my best friend. She just tried to kill you. And, and me. She murdered my mom. She. You ruined my life. <sighs> so did I. I love you. The real you. Come on, you're nothing like her. You 
do you think she had feelings for Jordan at any point? Because it seems like she caught feelings. I mean, I feel like that's just natural. I mean, I also lived most of my 20s with a man and I'm extremely gay. Okay. okay. There were definitely <laughs> aspects of that where like I kind of did give a shit about this person. Mm-hmm. Because you're not a heartless monster? Because I'm not a heartless monster. And that's the thing. Sadie has shown that she's not a heartless monster because she is capable of love. She loves Michaela. She's selectively monstrous. She's selectively monstrous. I mean, when we first see how Michaela and Sadie and Toby interact with one another, Michaela is very starry-eyed around Toby. Like, she clearly has a crush on him. Mm -hmm. And Sadie is jealous as fuck about Mm -hmm. it. And yeah, you can make the interpretation of like, yeah, well, when girls get boyfriends, they forget about their friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand that. However, comma, that is clearly not like friend jealousy or concern she's going to lose her friend. That is like, how dare you? That is my girlfriend. It is a very territorial form mm-hmm. of jealousy. And and that to me is, is very queer. I agree. And I actually really like that you brought up like, yeah, I dated a man for most of my 20s and I'm extremely gay. Look at me. I'm extremely gay. You basically have your own version of a hard femme haircut and i have to ask what do you think is the draw for someone like jordan to date someone like sadie who clearly looks gay all right so like whatever form of queer sadie is she looks queer so i needed to consult with an expert on this because this is (laughs) stemming from a conversation we had while watching the movie Full disclosure, when I was in high school, it was very known that I was also some form of queer. And Mm -hmm. straight men found that so enticing and so electrifying and wanted to know everything about it. For me, I think Jordan is more so into Sadie because, like, they really like horror movies together and, like, that's a really cool thing. And she's, like, this edgy girl who's kind of dangerous that his dad doesn't really seem too fond of you need more than horror movies in common to have a relationship honey they're in high school (laughs) you are how am i gonna find someone else who will sit here and watch this stuff with me true or false you once said that in high school your type was anyone who liked you yeah but i also didn't pursue people they had to come to me right so anyway people in high school they have very dumb reasons for why they're into each other i gotcha But I did have to go to an expert. So my niece and nephew's parents, Wes and Ashley of the Why Did We Ever Meet podcast, are a very interesting couple Mm -hmm. because Wes is extremely straight, but looks like a bear daddy. Wes is the most honorary gay straight person I've ever met in my life. He is the belle of the ball at Pride every year because everyone thinks he's a bear daddy because he's like this. He's handsome and he's hairy and he grooms his beard. Yep. People love him. Yeah. And then Ashley has usually some form of like pastel lavender um, shade of Mia Farrow and Rosemary's baby haircut. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Usually a little more height, but yeah. Yeah. And like a lot of like very big statement earrings that are interesting shapes like very much like a queer aesthetic yes so the two of them while married to each other and make a gorgeous couple they make a gorgeous couple they look like they've just married gay people (laughs) (laughs) it's one of my favorite things so i i did ask wes i was like so what like 
what, what is, is this, this? experience? <laughs> what is this like? Please tell us. And the two of them both agreed that there is a sense of pride that although they are straight, that their relationship confuses the shit out of everybody when they see them because their son is also like my, my nephew is very openly bisexual mm-hmm. um, despite being a 14 year old mm-hmm. kid knows who he is. And I'm very proud of him for that. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of pride of like, yeah, try and figure this out. Keep trying to figure out who we are. I love that. <laughs> I think that that's great. But they also talked about how when they go to Pride, it's always really interesting that although Ashley reads as, in my opinion, like super, super queer, Mm -hmm. she doesn't get approached nearly as much as Wes. Mm -hmm. And we've both kind of laughed and cracked it up to like, well, this is just falling into stereotypes of like lesbians being too afraid to approach anybody because like, what if they don't like me back? So (laughs) Ashley doesn't get nearly as much, whereas like a bunch of like gay dudes who are cruising for a leather daddy have no problem walking up to Wes and being like, Hey, you want a party? So, <laughs> you know, just Very really, forward. just really people falling into stereotypes, which I find really funny. But then when I did ask him, I was like, okay, but does this change your attraction level to Ashley? Because she's not always looked this queer. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, I love her so much that it really doesn't matter. But he's like, but I would be lying if I didn't say like, it is kind of fun when I think about the fact that like, yeah, people think that my wife is a lesbian, but, like, she loves me. And I was like, you know what? I kind of understand that. I think that, like, that's that lizard brain part of you where, like, you know somebody wants your partner, but they can't have them. You get them. I would be lying if I said that I did not get, like, sick, sweet enjoyment whenever you were bartending and I would just be sitting at the bar enjoying my drink and I would watch people shoot their shot and miss trying to, like, hit on you and then went home and fucked you. Like, that was the best. It's, like, such, like, a glorifying and, like, weird internal, like, yeah, I'm the worthy one. I'm the one who has the girl all the guys want. <laughs> Honestly, it was mostly women who would hit on me. Well, guys. yes, I was trying to make a girl all the bad guys want. Yes, joke. I know. But anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, like, it really does offer that like validation to like the, the those like shitty shallow parts of our brain that exist that we like to pretend don't exist mm-hmm. they're there they feel it feels nice i mean i like that my wife is hot and oh, i like that you. people think my wife is hot I there's think, nothing wrong with that i think the scales are a little bit unbalanced Shh. have you ever seen any of your selfies Aww. and have you ever seen the hundreds of people who are just like oh my god goth mommy milkers yeah, that's very true. But then they see the rest of my body and they're like, oh, wait, she's a great big fat person. <laughs> what, are you, what are you, size 14? Joke's on you. Maybe my leg. I think I'm around a 14. <laughs> I've probably gone up in quarantine. Uh, who cares? But yeah, I would no- like to know if I could fit in things. I care. <laughs> okay, good point, good point. But yeah, I, I really, really enjoy this movie a lot. I think that it's smart. I think that it's clever. And I love that it ends with just this literal blaze of glory at prom. I think that it it brings a sense of catharsis to me. Maybe it's because I just really fucking identify with Sadie. Yeah. Like, let's be real here. I'll take the subtext out of this entire conversation. Um, a huge contributing factor my, to my enjoyment of this movie is seeing a character that I relate to because I don't get it very often. Yeah, no, I understand that. Yeah. I, I love that the blaze of glory is, you know, prom burning down, which is perfect for a horror-themed episode of This Ends at Prom. But also, past that, mm-hmm. they essentially have this, like, Thelma and Louise moment where they drive off into the sunset, 
but they get away with it and not off of a cliff. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. And also, I know plenty of people who argue that, like, the end of your high school is graduation. No. The end of high school is prom. Because anything after that, you're just fucking coasting. You got senioritis. Nobody gives a shit. Oh, yeah. Prom, that's the last shebang. So for them to set it on fire and burn it down... Ugh, like what a giant well, middle finger to that. The beautiful metaphor of fucking the institutions that they've hated this entire time. Oh, yeah. This, like, I like that you said that this is kind of the extension of Heathers mm-hmm. because that's what's happening. They are achieving what JT wanted to. Mm-hmm. And the best part is that in Heathers, he's the villain of that movie and we want to stop him from getting away with it. Oh, but he's so charming. But he's so charming. But in this movie, we want them to burn it down. Like, we're rooting for them. Like, fuck it, kill them all. I love it. I love horror. I love this movie. I love the two of them. Do I wish we could have just made them canonically queer? Yes. But I can't get what I want all the time. I would have liked it if it had been canonically addressed as queer, but also I don't think that you need to label things in some stringent parameters where you need to go ahead and like out a character in order for it to be accepted. You know what? That's a great point. That's actually a very, very good point. And I think that that can kind of bring a little conversation that I don't think we talk about a lot, which is this idea that as a community, we're never going to be happy. Like it's going to be impossible to make everyone happy with the exploration of queerness in films because we all want different things. Mm -hmm. Like, I think one of the really good examples of this is comparing Bit and The Craft Legacy. One of which is much better than the other. (laughs) Very true. Not to say that I didn't enjoy both of them, but one is significantly better than the other. (laughs) But we have this example of, you know, bit where we have a trans lead, but we never actually say the word transgender and people were mad about it. And then we have a movie like The Craft Legacy where we have a character that's trans and they do make jokes about it and they do reference it and people are mad about it. It's too direct. It's too on the nose. All she does is just talk about her dick. Mm. Right. So there's there's no winning. So when we have this situation with Tragedy Girls, like... It would be great if we would have been able to see some form of affection or whatever. But I also recognize that, like, this is high school and there's a lot of people figuring out their feelings in high school. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people navigating a lot of complex things in high school. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who was a queer girl in high school, there were definitely moments where I had these conflicting relationships about my friendships of do I really want to this person because I'm attracted to them and I like them and I like them in that way or are they just a really really close friend and I'm gay and full of hormones uh yeah no that makes a lot of sense because I think we as queer people always have to think about that though where it's like would logistically me and my friend work as a couple and then you think about and go no we wouldn't right (laughs) you still have to like the options there because theoretically you both Like, there's nothing stopping it in terms of, like, a sexuality thing. So it's just, like, emotionally now, like, physically, where where do we link up here? And is this a possibility? And then usually it's a no. And the thing that's so interesting is that we are unafraid to have these sorts of conversations when it comes to straight teens to the point where there's even, like, friend zone jokes and all of shit like that. Mm -hmm. But we don't ever have that conversation as queer people. Like, yeah, we have stereotypes of, like, lesbians being in love with their straight best friend like that's that's a whole 
can of worms in in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But there's this weird thing where we don't ever want to talk about what it's like to be a queer teen and trying to navigate those feelings while also navigating those friendships because I'm a firm believer that in many instances, the friendships that you share are deeper and more intimate than a lot of the people that you date. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, the relationships that I have in high school that are longstanding are my friendships. They're not the people that I dated in the slightest. There's a reason. No, absolutely not. And there's a reason that every single relationship I was ever in, aside from you and one other person who has obviously since ended, none of them lasted longer than like two months. I would get <laughs> bored with them. And yet I have friends that I've had for years. So clearly they matter more. Right. And we put all this stock in those relationships that happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the worst breakups in my life have never been people that I was dating or fucking. They were people that I was friends with. Those are the ones that hurt the most. No, I agree. And I wish I wish we had these conversations more often, especially with with queerness, because it it is a complicated thing for us to figure out because the unfortunate reality is that friend groups tend to be segregated across like on the gender binary because that's just how people are socialized. Well, yeah, boys have cooties, girls something, blah, 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 and then it splits and never kind of reconverges in school for the most part. Right. And like when you're growing up, the likelihood that you're going to be able to like spend the night at the house of somebody who has the same gender identity as you is going to be higher. Oh, yeah. I hung out with a lot of girls growing up and was not invited to any sleepovers. And I was the only one who was not invited because dad was afraid I'd get into some canoodling despite the fact that I didn't know what sex was. (laughs) But But that's what I'm saying. So like it does add this level of confusion and like emotional turmoil when you are offered that space because it was really weird for me to go to sleepovers with my friends because in in never was I like thinking of my friends in like a predatory manner or anything like that but it's one of those conflicting things of like this girl is being really really nice to me and it makes me feel nice but I know that I'm gay do I feel nice because I'm attracted to her and I want to date her or do I feel good because this is my friend and also she's just being nice and because she's just being nice but when you're nice feels good but when you're 15 years old and your entire body is nothing but hormones that shit's really complicated and really hard to unpack and Uh there's no guidebook for this because we like to pretend that queer queerness doesn't happen until you turn 18 and that's fucking stupid so i understand why michaela and sadie don't have this like overt display of affection and i get that and at the same time There is a little part of me that does enjoy the fact that they're not supposed to be a queer couple Mm -hmm. because I love friendship movies. And I I love showing how important friendship can be between two people and how you can have a best friend that changes your life. And I love that. And I do, too. We talk about this all the time when we have, like, usually gay male characters because it's so nice for, like, quote-unquote soft boys mm-hmm. to be straight because there's not as many of examples of that. Mm-hmm. So I do love that friends can just be friends without it being gay. Mm-hmm. But also they, they come across as really gay. I know. So. Mm, and I'm it, just so it, desperate it, for representation this, that I this, want it. This is one of the benefits of not explicitly being like, you know what, Michaela? I am deeply in lesbian with you. <laughs> Like, you don't need to go ahead and just announce that. Just, it's going to be what it's going to be either way. (laughs) Well, Harmony, I think we have done a lot of analysis about Tragedy Girls. And a lot of other things. And a lot of other things. But now I have the most important question to ask. Tragedy Girls is asking you to the prom. 
Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? Yes, I would like to go to prom. Just not this one. Because <laughs> you don't want to be set on fire and or hung? Not right now. I, 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 <laughs> that could change on a day-to-day basis. But at the moment, I, I could pass. <laughs> That's fantastic. But, yeah. you know, at a different prom, you'd, you'd go with Tragedy Girls? Yeah, absolutely. They seem like a, like a fun duo. What would your mask look like? I don't know. It wouldn't fit my big dumb face. <laughs> it's, they're very round, and I've got a, a powerful jaw. I don't. <laughs> it, it probably wouldn't work out well. <laughs> I like. I, I feel like if I was hanging out with these two, it'd be like these two, and then the really tall Buffalo Bill person, and that's me. I'm the tall one. <laughs> I hope that you know that in my head just now, all I could think about is Kristen Wiig going and. I- Judy. Yeah, basically. <laughs> the thing I'm always like, and I'm here too. Like that's yes. pretty much what passes through my mind at any given time. <laughs> well, friends, that takes us out on Tragedy Girls. And we want to thank you so much for listening to our just babbling obsession with this movie. And we want to thank Freight Gown again for allowing us the space to even present this to you all. And you know, introduce some of you to what we do here at The Sunset Prom. Maybe introduce you to this movie. Yeah, for those who haven't seen it, go check it out. But if you want to know more about This Ends at Prom, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. Our branding. Our brand. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com backslash This Ends at Prom, where we do fun things like make monthly playlists. We do commentary tracks for movies that are not quite teen girl, but definitely ones that you'd probably watch at a sleepover. And we even have mini-sodes for the Sadie Hawkins dance, where Harmony exposes me to teen boy movies and... Oh, are they a trip and a half. <laughs> they pretty much run on the extremes of, this is really good, like Sing Street, or this is really bad, like most of them. <laughs> <laughs> so again, that is patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? My brand can be located on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, when we want to give a massive thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use their song title as our theme song. Again, huge thank you to all involved in Fright Gown. We hope you have a fantastic festival. And don't forget, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.